Hello, you're listening to Thought Starters, a podcast on the business of creativity. I'm Ellie Stuhler. For the London Design Festival, the pod that usually lives at White City Place is going on tour. For two days, we're recording from the Brompton Design District and from Exhibition Road outside the Victoria and Albert Museum. Today, we're in the Brompton Design District, and producer David Michon is hosting. One theme that has emerged at this year's London Design Festival is the future of materials, and in particular, how they can contribute to a more sustainable world. Some of our greatest innovations will not solely be in what is made, but also from what they are made. From huge corporations such as IKEA to recent design graduates, the exploration and development of materials has become a much welcomed fixation. Whether it is new uses for old materials such as cork, or brand new materials such as ones from seaweed or the bacteria in coconut water. And today in the pod, we have two people whose job it is to explore, consult, and teach within this expanded world of material possibilities. Hi, I'm Severa Davis. I'm Head of Learning at the Design Museum. Hi, I'm Sital Slanky. I'm the Founder and Director of Matter. Sital is a London-based materials designer, researcher, and author of Why Materials Matter. She is the director and founder of materials research design studio Matter, and her work explores alternative methods of employing and implementing materials more responsibly in industry and education. At the Design Museum, Sever leads the strategy of programs for schools, young people and families, further and higher education, as well as for lifelong learning. She has consulted on design for social impact for international government clients and speaks on the value of design thinking and approaches. Well, the book launched just this week and during LDF and what we wanted to do was to kind of shine a light on the importance and the role of materials because what we kind of demonstrate with our practice is that they exist in everything we do and they're made up of everything so everything is made of something and the book really sort of goes into that in three chapters so the first chapter is focusing on perhaps the more everyday materials, things that we're more familiar with and how they can be used to their full potential. And then the second chapter focuses on a more scientific approach. So some people's projects within that is looking at how bacteria is a material, how they can be grown. And the third chapter is more focusing on perhaps a further future or actually it's happening now as well. Um, more abstract materials, so they're more expansive, mm. and air as a material, water as a material, digital materials, something that's a bit more immaterial, perhaps. And I think you're doing a few other things as part of the festival, is that right? Yes, we're doing an exhibition uh, just on in Brompton on Three Yeomans Row, and so in the book we're featuring lots of different designers, practitioners, artists, scientists, agriculturists, dairy farmers and lots of different roles within design I guess and the exhibition I wanted to commission different designers within the book that we featured and so I commissioned them to make a bookend from their material so it's a series of bookends that support the book and the book supports the material. Yeah I've seen it and it's really beautiful. Um, that's You make an interesting point about how different 
people and different skills sort of contribute to the design process and thinking about materials in new ways. And I think something that you and I share is our sort of slightly, our own journey into design and through design and where we've both come up with a real passion for how we can create design that's more responsible and responsive to the world around us. And I I don't think we've ever fully talked about sort of your own journey through design and as a designer, and I wonder if you could say a little bit about that. Yeah, of course. I began as a textile designer, and I studied multimedia textiles and textile futures at CSM. And that kind of catapulted me to be able to work within lots of different industries, such as automotive, architecture, fashion, lighting, interaction design, and a whole array of fields, which was really eye-opening because I really just wanted my question in hindsight was what is a material and how can my role as a textile designer Mm. start to understand that landscape through all these different fields so that's what I did and at the time when I finished studying it was really unknown I would say now it feels like it's a lot more kind of prevalent or on people's minds and they're yeah. kind of more conscious yeah and I think that's really exciting yeah and you know your work is still extremely unique but at the same time I think we're hearing a lot more about materials and their role in the world um, with every day and you know that's even part of the um, the theme here at the Brompton design district being around material consequences and sort of just encouraging everyone to think about materials whether or not they come from a design background or not um, yeah and just sort of that raising that awareness as well absolutely and I think it's really key that awareness is a big way in which people can respond and be involved uh, because it's it comes down to a lot of lack of education as well within this and a lot of what we do is educate and I guess it's also your role within the design museum of bringing more awareness to what design can do. Yeah, I mean, at the it's interesting in the learning program at the Design Museum, the, the audiences that we touch are enormous um, from everyone who sort of wanders in off the street and, and, and thinks, you know, what is this place? What is this building? And you can wander in for free. And we want them to have a learning journey when they're there. And what do they take away? And how do they... What do they learn about design in their time there? And design, of course, is um, its role in the world is expanding. And so it's really important that we're able to, cater is probably the wrong word, but ensure that no matter what somebody's notion of design is, if they've been studying design for years or they're a professional designer or they're a school kid who comes in for the very first time, that they come away with some inspiration and have learned something at the design museum and so you know interestingly we sit in a funny place of being um, have formal learning programs that complement I guess you'd say you know school curriculum but at the same time lots of informal learning programs and increasingly as we've seen more and more people want to think through design and particularly through materials and in a way that is much more about lifelong learning and craft and well-being and it's interesting that the role that that's playing now I think in in learning and you must see this as well people sort of wanting to experiment with materials 
because they're interested in those properties, but also they're interested in sort of that idea of kind of getting stuck in and trying something new. So, um, you know, that's that's sort of the context that we're operating in at the Design Museum and thinking about learning in that way and it's um, mm-hmm. changing all the time and we're yeah. figuring out what appeals to people and what doesn't but also wanting to challenge people at the same time. Mm. Yeah. Because we've had the opportunity to do a workshop at the Design Museum late last year in November yeah. and it was about seaweed as a material, biomaterial yeah. and using that as a natural dye in a yarn and we got them to make rugs and how is materials being introduced within the learning programs? So we actually have a really popular workshop for schools, which is our materials workshop, and it's it's introducing school groups to design through the weird and wonderful of all the materials that are out there. And, you know, there's a couple of I wouldn't say gimmicky things, but sort of things that grab people's attention like that um, that TV rock, I think it's known, you know, it's a sort of crystal piece of a clear rock I'm not exactly sure what it is and it magnifies things through its natural properties and you can imagine that the excitement that the kids have when they Mm -hmm. see that but then also showing the materials like all the new smart materials that are out there that harden upon contact with the air or harden when thrown those sorts of things and so it's it's opening up a whole new world for us as well which is that it's not sort of studying design through the final object and Mm -hmm. and having people learn that way but actually by playing around with materials seeing what they can do and how they're being used and then inspiring people and design that way that sounds great it feels like there's a wide range of ages involved in that because it's an adult learning program. Yeah, so the adult learning program and um, tends to be much more about, I'd say, making in a way, and people who really want to try their hand at something. Um, so the seaweed workshop that we did with you, we've got one coming up on sort of how we can use polystyrene in other ways. We're working with someone that I know you worked with, looking at using corn husks. Mm-hmm. And so we've got lots and lots of workshops in the program that, that touch on materials and particularly how people can use those and understand what they might do in the world today and, and how design might benefit from those. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking that um, this this is a good segue into thinking a little bit more about some of the content in your book. And I know that one of the things that you were aspiring to do with the book is to not sort of have it be another kind of material science book, something that wasn't too academic or something that wasn't too sciencey, but something that would actually have a really wide appeal. And I wonder if you could tell us a little bit more about the approach to how you put the book together. You told us the sort of chapters at the beginning, but some of the case studies are really unique. Yeah, absolutely. I was really conscious of showcasing materials that weren't just from the UK or, the, or just Europe. I've kind of expanded it, very global approach to it. So not every project has a similar aesthetic. Um, it's really important that we also demonstrate different scales of making and manufacturing. So we've got companies in there like IKEA and Studio Ilsa who have been working together and they've created a collection of furniture for the home which is made from cork, which is completely impenetrable. So it's hydrophobic so it's long lasting mm. it's really it's not sort durable. of the cork that we know no <laughs> well cork is really breathable as well yeah and 
it's also the way that it's grown it's you know outside of the bark of the tree and the trunk of the tree so it can be easily accessed and it's very abundant and so you're not really chopping down trees to create this material and it's very historical as well yeah and then we have a project from a group of students in Iceland called the Willow Project and what was really great about that is it was a very collective effort in terms of how they could dissect a tree and all of its components and how each component of the tree could be utilized for something whether it was a woven structure or whether it was glass or resin or paper something had a purpose and they only were allowed to use heat and water to create all of these outcomes and they even made scent and all sorts of things and it's really great to kind of have this dynamic of a student project a huge brand that's producing on mass scale and then something perhaps more self-produced I would say is a project called Malai then there are a studio based in a coconut farm in the south of India and what they're doing is using wasted coconut water which causes a lot of harm in water streams and what they do with that because it has a natural bacteria within it it's in human environment it creates a skin on the top of that bacteria uh, water sorry and that skin if left over 10 to 14 days it would create a leather-like material. And so it's completely biodegradable, it's grown naturally. It also hooks onto, attaches onto some of the fibers on the coconut husks as well to create more durability and flexibility. Wow. So in a way, I mean, you sort of, you, you leave it there and it kind of does its thing and then you have this amazing material at the end of it yeah and you process it like paper almost as well so like the finishing processes you would put through like a a roller to give it sort of the right consistency you're listening to a special episode of thought starters a podcast for white city place recorded from the brompton design district as part of the london design festival in conversation are Sital Solanki, founder of Matter Research Design Studio, and Severa Davis, head of learning at the Design Museum. Those stories that you tell and even the seaweed workshop that you did with people at the um, Design Museum as part of our learning program, they're all incredible and I think they get people really thinking about the potential and kind of it's that combination of being awestruck about what, um, where our material can come from in the future. But what do you think about the, the viability and the potential of, of some of these materials that you highlight in your book and as, you know, to really shape the everyday products around us? Like, what, what do you think is going to happen um, in the future with that? <laughs> <laughs> it's a really tough question, but I think I'm really optimistic about the future because I think ma- and it's partly the the premise of the book is leaving people feeling optimistic yeah. about what our future holds for us because materials can enable positive social, environmental, political, economical change and 
I think there's many stages we have to go through for to this be implemented. Yeah. But we do a lot of that work with companies, brands, individuals to kind of do it in a responsible way and yeah. use materials more responsibly. So I think there's kind of a three-stage process in that we're kind of rethinking what materials are in a way changing the narrative yeah and then it's about changing behavior and looking at circularity and life cycles yeah and then it's really about it changing systems mm. and I think there's lots of work already being done by lots of people yeah to enable that change and I think it's a matter of material designers scientists economists politicians yeah. all of these people kind of working in harmony to enable this change and i think a lot of that is really happening i was in another talk the other day where i was on a panel with people from friends of the earth and they were explaining there's 50 million pounds of funding to be able to change the way that we use plastic yeah what that's amazing <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, but we don't know about this. Yeah. So there needs to be more of those yeah. open conversations yeah. and work in a more collaborative, collective way because we all have shared values in all of this. It's just about knowing, really, yeah. and doing it together. And I know it's something that is is written in your book, and you know, it's, it's sort of the same. We, we say that everything around us is designed because that's true, and. You know, not all of it is well designed, and it's the same. You know, it's the same with materials, right? The materials are all around us, and that design and materials touching our lives in ways that it's just almost unfathomable to understand in the way that they t that touches us every day. And some materials, it's not that the material is bad, but the sort of maybe the system isn't working. The material isn't working well within the system, and that's a lot of what we hear about plastics or single-use plastics and some of the composites that are then contributing to problems in the bigger system of, of materials. Mm -hmm. And it feels like it's all kind of coming together at the minute where designers and material scientists and then people like you who are sort of bridging a lot of these things we're all starting to really wake up to this and to see what the potential is I mean I'm I'm also optimistic not not every single day no um, there's days <laughs> when I don't feel totally optimistic but on the whole whole I do I mean I guess I had one sort of burning question for you and you mentioned it at the very beginning about the third chapter being about the more immaterial and I don't really mean that as a play on words, but um, this idea that we're living in this technical age, the digital age, and so what is considered to be a material, data is now a material, and things that we, you know, nano things are materials <laughs> that we can't see or even really comprehend. And I'm just really interested in how, how we think of those things now in the context of of your work and you know, this concept that materials matter and these are this is matter in a different sense and um, I don't know that wasn't really a question but I'm just curious to hear your thoughts on that sort of the bridge between the um, what we think of as material and the digital age mm. yeah I mean in the last chapter we have got some projects in there which is looking at air as a material and water and also digital materials and so 
these things perhaps seem really invisible, but they have an impact on us because it's either you capturing air pollution and transforming that into a fabric dye or a, a lead for a pencil or some printing ink. And it's really harnessing perhaps everything around us, even the things that we can't see or are exposed to. It's For me, it's experiential mm -hmm. as well because they do affect us emotionally. And yeah. I think the emotion is really a big part of that. People don't talk about that. Like we don't really think of that. Yeah. That much. Yeah. Actually, I was in a conversation just the other day with Liz Corbin and we were really discussing this, you know, idea around materials. It's not just about, um, you know, the physical. It's also about the intuitiveness of yeah. how we kind of engage with it. And it's feeling, yeah. really. And emotion really has to play an important role in shaping that because it affects us all yeah like especially how we discuss it it's around communication and narrative we have to kind of change the narrative to make it a lot more relatable so yeah. people can change their behaviors yeah and education is something that you and i have s spoken a lot about in the past and you know i'm sort of thinking about it every day in my professional life and thinking about you know, how do we, um, it's not necessarily about changing our educational systems, although that might be a part of it, but actually how do we encourage that, going back to that point around awareness, and um, it's not just in totally on the part of, you know, the consumer, and let's, let's talk about sort of everyday products, and those consumers I think are increasingly feeling the pressure, but also wanting to understand where their materials come from and what happened, how their materials got to where they are, and then what's going to happen to them at the end of their life. But that puts a lot of pressure onto those people. And then there's uh, lots of other people in this whole chain, as you said. There's the designers, there's the people who are making or growing or creating the materials, whatever it might be, from whatever original substance. And, and then there's this, the larger systems that those things feed into. So what, what do you think about how we create educational systems that actually foster that? Do you think there's enough collaboration and dialogue between designers and material scientists and waste management experts? And do you think there needs to be more? I think I know the answer to that. Yeah. <laughs> um, no. <laughs> I feel like we shouldn't just look at design education. Yeah. Materials is also affects every single type of education, yeah. informal and formal. A lot of my learning, I would say, came from my mum cooking. You know, like I learned how to reuse yeah. so much in the kitchen. And that was such a huge way to approach materials. And just this idea, okay, so we have leftovers, they're in the fridge. No matter how big or small the leftovers were, we would never throw it away. Yeah, And so the next day it would be completely reinvented into something that didn't even resemble the previous night's food. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's really similar to materials. Oh, yeah. And I think um, this idea of reusing yeah. and informal education and formal education yeah. is really integral, but they need to be... I think that's such a nice point about that none of this should be the 
preserve of one discipline in a way and I think I feel the same about design and you know we're not explicitly talking about design here today but this idea that we're so siloed is is really troubling and actually I think what certainly what we're trying to do the design museum I think what you're trying to do is demonstrate how design and materials have an impact on everybody and everything and and how do we all work together to kind of you know change that I'm going to I'm going to steal the from the front of your book you know it's it's how we can be more responsible and design for a better world that was Sital Solenki, founder of Matter Research Design Studio, and Severa Davis, head of learning at the Design Museum. This has been Thought Starters, recorded in the pod at Brompton Design District as part of the London Design Festival. Thought Starters is a DNN co project for White City Place, produced by David Michon, recorded by Alex Portfelix, and edited by Claire Urban. To find out how you can record your own podcast at White City Place, find us at whitecityplace.com. You can also follow us on Twitter or Instagram at White City Place. And subscribe to Thought Starters on iTunes, Acast, and Stitcher. Give us a rating and write us a comment. It really helps. We'll see you next time. <laughs>